0: Have you advocated alongside Dressember in the fight against human trafficking? This year is the 10th anniversary of the Style Challenge, and there's no better time to bring your community along with you and lead a Dressember team. Recruit some friends and family, set a fundraising goal, and encourage each other all month long. Dressember is better together. Sign up to lead a team at dressember.org slash fundraise.
1: Hey, welcome to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a December podcast. I'm your host, Blythe Hill, and my co-host is Stephanie Schindler. In this series, we're talking with 11 survivors of human trafficking and commercial sexual exploitation to find out what survivors wish we, the allies who fight for them, knew. We are thrilled to share our conversation with Jessica Furmanac in today's episode. Jessica is a writer, public speaker, actor, and advocate for the support and recovery of women who have been exploited in the commercial sex trade. Jessica brings energy, boldness, and conviction to her work of helping hurting people get from where they are to where they want to be. Listen in as we hear from Jessica about what trauma-informed care, safe spaces, and financial and emotional stability could look like for survivors. Jessica, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you
2: for having me. I'm so excited that you guys are providing this platform for survivor voices to be heard. I'm so thankful for that.
1: Yeah. Well, in, in bouncing the gratitude back to you, we're, we're grateful to have you. And I'm also so grateful to you specifically because you have so many great resources for organizations, allies, advocates who want to be involved in this work as Mm -hmm. far as, um, being trauma informed and making mm-hmm. sure that we are we're actually helping and not hurting yeah. survivors and 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 victims in this space. So thank you for the time and energy you've put into educating the larger community about engaging in this work.
2: You're welcome.
1: Yeah, super grateful. And I know you've got a lot of great projects that you can plug at the at the end of our conversation because uh, we want are, people to know about those too, your book there and your course are endless that you're working on. Things <laughs> for the
2: public to jump in on endless things.
1: Amazing. Well, narrowing it down from endless a little bit, um, let's talk specifically about anti-trafficking and anti-CSEC efforts. Um, Can you give us kind of a general overview of what a trauma-informed approach to working with survivors looks like?
2: Yes. I'll give you uh, the quick version. All of the staff that I bring in to work with, I give them a full trauma-informed training and I recommend that. But Um, There's a couple of things I'll throw out there that I think are the most important to remember. Uh, The first policy that I teach everyone, whether they follow it or not, is up to them. But I will explain why it's so important to my organization. And that is that we don't take pictures of the survivors we're working with or share those pictures or their names in order to raise money or raise awareness for it, for whatever reason. Um, and again, you'll see that I share my name, but I'm a long-standing public figure. So that's a separate scenario. And then, so let me just explain why, because I know that a lot of organizations do share pictures and names. And so you might be thinking, well, that's not what I'm seeing. So why, why is Jessica saying that? Um, and so this is why I'm saying it. Much like the foster care system, um, when we reveal the face and the name of someone whether it's online or at a live event, we are potentially possibly putting them in danger physically because we're revealing their general location. We're we're giving an update on who they are, where they are, what's their latest social media handle. And we don't know if their abusers or traffickers are cyberstalking them and searching for information as to their whereabouts. And when we post all of those things, we have now given them a tunnel I I have a couple of social media sites. I can't tell you how many traffickers hit me on those sites. They follow my story. I can see who they are. It's right there in front of me. They send me horrible messages sometimes because they are trying to get to some of the people I might be involved in who they want to harm or bring back and re-traffic or re-recycle. There's a bunch of different words used for that. And so... Our policy and what I generally recommend is as much as is possible. Just don't show their face and name. It's so easy not to. You can still fundraise. You can still have their story and provide anonymity, uh, or or a, a pretend name at the end with an asterisk or whatever. Um, there are a few of us, many of us actually, who are well-known uh, speakers, survivor advocates, and we will. We, it's different for us. We're public figures, but again. Honoring organizations like Drisimba always ask me every single time. You know, it's been over a decade. Everyone asks me every time, Jessica, is it okay to use your name and face? And every time I decide accordingly, I might not want to today. I might be going in a new direction in my life. And I've decided I don't want to share my name on this story. So I just want to be asked. Um, so for those that are survivor advocates, just show them that honor. So that's my recommendation. I know everyone's doing their own thing. But as a survivor, this is my take on it. This is what I've learned over the years is best. Um, And then it makes a couple other things difficult besides an abuser finding you. Job hunting and dating becomes complicated. Each person that I apply to is going to search my name. And when the first things that come up are um, my latest blog about my survivor story or my latest podcast or whatever, the... uh, new employer has a, it's hard for them not to see that. And then they read through it because it's different and unexpected. And then even if they still hire me, a lot of times what will happen is they will expect me to just be open to being asked questions about horrible events from my past at work or expecting me to talk to other. It's just totally inappropriate. And so I would prefer to be able survivors to be able to decide what they want their boss to know and if all those stories had been posted anonymously they wouldn't be in that situation right now and we have the power to offer them that anonymity so i am going to offer it do it would you please but i'm going to offer it and then dating (laughs) Dating, I'm sorry, but we cyber check each other. When you meet a new person, you're like, oh, let me check their Facebook, let me check their Instagram. It's perfectly normal, nothing wrong. But if they've just been tagged by suchandsuch.org for their latest, you know, article, story, podcast, then the first thing that happens is that my new potential partner has too much information too fast. And I wanted to tell them in my own timing or maybe never, I don't know. It's up to me to navigate my relationship. Maybe I want to tell them some of it, not all of it. And so if I could be given that anonymity, if we can provide survivors that anonymity and and a lot of times a survivor is going to tell you they don't need it and they're fine. And then they do it and then they experience everything I just listed and they didn't know in advance. I have to make it safe for them. They can't know how to navigate all of this in advance. So I know already. I'm trauma informed, so I'm gonna offer anonymity up front. I recommend it. I drill down on it. I'm like, I really want you to do it anonymously. This- if you really, really don't want to, we'll open up to that. But I really push for that. And other organizations that are very trauma informed do have did the same with me when I started speaking. They they were like. What Do you want to be anonymous let's really think on it give yourself a month to ponder before you come to this event you know they give me so much margin um and then so other than protecting anonymity which i talk so much about i never shut up about it um i recommend not asking questions when you're working with survivors don't ask about their story don't make them rehash it over and over Uh, instead treat them as you would any other person that is walking alongside you invite them into community, into real community. What really benefits a survivor is when they get opportunities to be invited to Christmas dinners, Thanksgiving dinners, um, picnics at the park, really, really quote unquote normal societal things that might, they might feel on the outside of um, and were, I know when I was being exploited, I felt completely separated from all the rest of humanity who wasn't sold um, and I just felt uninvited and uncomfortable. And so if we can let let them know you're invited to lunch with us, just little things that don't seem like a big deal. You're invited. You don't have to talk about your story. You're not going to be this anomaly at lunch. Like You are one of us. Be with us. Be our family. Be our community. Somehow create that scenario because that is one of the most trauma-informed things you can do. Just set the story down and let them live a day where the past wasn't a constant constantly reminded of it. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And I I think yeah that's that's so powerful and something I think people really underestimate the power of because the opposite, you know, like yeah, putting someone on display, making a spectacle of them almost yeah. is really dehumanizing rather than that like, is. hey, you're one of us and we want to we want to know you yeah. as a person and um yeah. it's a really beautiful and simple like practical way to engage with a survivor. Okay, speaking of when a survivor is empowered to share their story, their their lived experience, um, that can still often be done in ways that um, you know, or an organization might hire a survivor on a one-off to share their story or for an interview, an article, like you said online, and that's, I mean, I suppose it's fine, um, but. In in anti-trafficking, what I want to see happening and what we're starting to see happening a, a bit more and more, thankfully, is survivors really called into leadership positions to really be leaders in this space as experts. So in your opinion, I'd love to hear how do we continue to create safe spaces and pathways for survivors to be leaders in anti-trafficking and anti-CSEC?
2: Yes, I had a couple thoughts. The first thought that I've been having about this in recent years is that it feels to me like the best thing that we can do as anti-trafficking organizations is to make a commitment to hire a certain percentage of survivors on our staff or as contractors. I recommend staff if it's possible. Everybody has a different budget, so no judgment there, but staff creates the most stability. It creates financial stability Because it's not like, oh, am I going to get any contracted things this month? Or no, I get the same amount every week or every month. That creates stability. And it creates stability for the survivor in that they can plant roots into the organization. So I'm part of the organization. Not just this outsider you asked to stop in. And then I go away back to my wherever I go. And then I stop in for the special moments. It's not the same. The most stability is on staff. I'm not, it's not a requirement. I'm not shaming anybody. I just know in my heart of hearts that it's the best option for the survivor. So then contracting is also another great option. I don't knock it. That's what I do. Um, I don't know if I really (laughs) have the margin to be on staff because I'm running my own, my own organization at this point, but I have been on staff in the past. Right. So I know the experience. So it's great to be part of that team and that family, you know? Um, and then the second thing, which I've, kind of already said but just to reiterate as an anti-trafficking organization hiring staff and contractors survivors um once we hire them I don't ask them to discuss their past or their story at any point unless it's like really specific to the event or some really specific thing um they uh, survivors can give so much insight, um, in within the organization, even filling out surveys or even just giving insight as to how to be trauma informed in a program without ever ever discussing their story. We might get through this whole interview and I might never tell you a thing that happened to me, but it will still be so powerful and impactful. It's not necessary, there's a, a cost every time that we share our story, and I'm not against us sharing our story, it, it's good like it's empowering to me and it's it's helpful to the listener but there is a cost is a, a slight re-traumatization that cannot be avoided and we want to just keep that to a minimum um as much as possible and so I don't mind sharing my story but I don't do it often and because it puts me in a back in a place of remembering and it can take me days or weeks to shake it off and so I got to minimize that uh, experience as much as I can. And so we want to create a scenario where we are minimizing that.
0: I I really appreciate what you've touched on already. It's you've been so expansive with these insights. And I think it's important for people to understand the cost of survivors sharing their stories and how much value organizations and advocates can um learn from survivors without survivors sharing their stories, just as lived experience experts, uh, which often um, organizations hire survivors to be lived experience experts to informed on trauma-informed practices, as you said, or to inform on what direct services programming would look like. And, And speaking on that, I'd love to understand how we can support survivors to thrive as opposed to just survive um, past, you know, basic uh, crisis management or aftercare services? And how do we help them pursue their dreams as opposed to these like immediate intervention services that we've discussed?
2: Now you're speaking my love language. This (laughs) This one question is what I mostly do in my organization. Sure. So I'm going to give you all the magic answer here because this is what I love to talk about. So just you know, briefly, as a survivor, I'm really not interested in living the rest of my life, receiving crisis services, rent assistance, food. That's not the dream. We want to go past that into the thriving. I even want to be so powerful that I give back to my community. I want to go all the way to the top of the mountain that I was always meant to, to get to in my life. So I have found that not all, but a lot of survivors have an entrepreneurial spirit. You might have noticed that in your work as well. And so I think part of it is just after being controlled by our abusers and our sellers and our buyers for so many years, we yearn for sovereignty. I think that's part of it. And I also think some of us just always were entrepreneurs and it just wound up in the commercial sex trade instead of in our more purposed aligned purpose. And so, but that spirit of business ownership still remains. And so, we want to make space for that. Um so there are several organizations that work to help survivors discover their purpose and make their dreams come true. I'm going to recommend a few, but I'm going to tell you why I'm going in that direction. I do not believe in recreating the wheel. If there's an organization or a person or a group that's doing something well, I think the most powerful choice is to partner with them. Right? Like I don't need to launch my own podcast. I'm going to partner with December right now who has set that up. And then the partnership makes it more powerful. So I'm going to list off a few, but I just think if you, if, if you want to launch your own idea, knock yourself out, but it takes years to get those things going. If we can jump in with people who are doing what we're talking about already, let's do it. Find your, find your path to that. So my organization is the first one I'll mention. It's called from pain to purpose. It's, from pain to purpose.org, not hard to find. And what we do, what I do is I offer purpose coaching and I tend to work with trauma and loss survivors, but I don't always, but I offer our products and services at no charge to exploitation survivors. Um, and we just work to raise funds to cover the cost of that through other means so that they don't have to pay the whole, the whole cost or Maybe they'll pay $5 or something. I do like them to get financially invested, but that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Um, And so I help them navigate the process of remembering their gifts and talents and then create a true plan to reach their goals. And I usually work with my clients for about 12 months. That's a typical time frame for me for purpose coaching. So feel free to join me. We need a lot of help. (laughs) The second organization that is really killing it right now is Shine San Diego. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. They help survivor entrepreneurs to get their businesses up and running through their nine month business incubator program. A lot there, you will find other organizations that will help us sort of get a job or get job training. And that's good too. But for those entrepreneurs, we really need a specific experience. That's a little more in depth. It's different to launch a business. There's a lot of legalities involved. You need a team of people. So they give us business coaches, bi-weekly classes. They have a whole team of volunteers that step in to help us complete our projects, like build us a logo or build our website or whatever, whatever we need for our business. So they're killing it. If you feel like you might want to join in with them, do that rather than start a whole new organization. Um, and then empower her is another good one. They step in to fill the gaps by creating a 12 to 18 month plan that ends in self-sufficiency, I guess would be the best way to put it. And that the whole goal is how can we get us survivors out of a state of crisis and constant need for services or resources um, and into a place where I make my own money. I have my own house um, you know, the basics are covered and I can thrive continually. Hopefully their goal is that after that we're good to go and we've got it. Um, and so I'm really intrigued by that. I think they're doing it in a unique way. And so again, if you can partner with them in whatever way makes sense to you, I would say, just try to do that rather than reinvent the wheel. Um, and then just so you know, I don't ever recommend anyone that I have not actually. Actually completed their program, or am working with them, or in some way, any organization I list, I probably completed their whole program before I got to the point of recommending them publicly like this. So please mm. know that I don't make these recommendations casually. I know the owners by name; their their numbers in my cell phone. So, so I just want to add that little bit of trust here in these recommendations. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. Well, and it's interesting because. A lot of what you shared about what it looks like for a survivor to thrive is kind of connects back to financial stability and the freedom, the autonomy that that Mm -hmm. provides. And that is a thread that keeps coming up in a lot of our conversations that we've been having for this series with survivors. So I don't know if you wanted to speak to that specifically. If Mm -hmm. there's anything else you wanted to add, it's okay if you don't. But if there's anything that that brought up,
2: it's a big piece of the pie. So without a financial scenario that is stable, no one is going to do well, survivor or not. What happens with survivors is we don't have the backup system that maybe the average citizen has. Mom, dad, uncle, friends in the community, uh, fraternity, uh, sisters, uh, brothers, whatever it looks like. It's not one gender that survivors are. Um, and so none of that exists. So let's say I'm trying to build a business. I don't really have like college sisters to call. They're going to hook me up. Can't call my dad. He's not a safe person. He has money, but he's not going to give it to me unless I receive a certain level of abuse from him. And I'm not gonna, so then I'm on my own, you know? So we have to create a community we have to fill all those gaps. So our organizations have to become father, mother, family, college brothers and sisters, all of those things that don't exist. And we got to hook them up, right? Like, Shine San Diego is providing me a business coach that business coach is involved with another powerful organization. So she's going to give me the insider experience. And my name is going to get passed around. And so when I need funding for something, it's going to happen, right? Because I now have community, father, mother, sister, brother scenarios have been filled. So it it's huge. Money matters, <laughs> And everything that's happening to me is involving money. But I'm going to talk a little bit um, later because I kind of answered this in other questions about the survivor being able to receive it, though, because there's a there's a whole nother level of thing that happens with worthiness. Um, and that's kind of what I work with, with from pain to purpose. So money carries weight, but the handout's not the answer. That's the initial sur- uh, crisis response. And then immediately we want to start working towards how does Jessica become a person that makes money and even gives back to the community because she has extra money, right? Mm. Like that's who we want. That's a, that's a dream path for every survivor and every person, I think. Totally.
1: (laughs) The Dressember Collective is a community of like-minded activists committed to building a more free world. Joining the Dressember Collective by making a monthly gift is one of the easiest ways to make a long-term impact with Dressember. You can give as much or as little as you'd like each month, and you'll get in on bonus content, discount codes for our brand partners, and other exclusive gifts. One of the best perks for advocates who join is that if you give to your own campaign page, your monthly donations will help you get a head start on meeting your year-end fundraising goal. Join the Dressember Collective today at Dressember.org slash collective. Your book Mm -hmm. from pain to purpose. I read recently, actually, I'd love to, it was great. It was so practical. And I would love love if you could share, um, some of the like key takeaways, Mm -hmm. um, that you want, you want people to know, um, about being trauma informed, um, or just lessons from your book, maybe as a little nugget for people to want to go order a copy too.
2: (laughs) Okay, perfect. I'll do both. I had a couple of thoughts on trauma informed and how my book addresses that. And then I'll just give you a little, little brief. Um, so my book from pain to purpose does take a trauma informed approach to purpose coaching in that I'm acutely aware that in order, and this was what I wanted to address in order to be successful in any area of life, we have to feel worthy of receiving these blessings. So, I work with my clients to first address the inner wounds, recommending recovery programs, whatever works for them. Everyone needs a different thing. Um, And then get their bodies into balance. It's really difficult to think straight or have a positive attitude if my brain does not get the nutrients it requires to release healthy chemicals into my body. So, I drilled down on that in the beginning because through experience and all of the certifications and the training that I've experienced, I know this, this to me is the best path. I'm so practical. I'm not, um, like hippy dippy in the way I communicate in my writing and my speaking. I'm very like, this is what's happening. And here's an action step, right? Because that's how I am. I respond to tangible action steps. It like theories are great. Emotions are have to be addressed, but like, what do I do is what I want to know. And so my book is very, like really speaks to people who enjoy action steps. Um, So the best I can recommend as far as trauma informed is just to get get the just order the book and read through it. It's a mini book, so it only takes a couple of hours to read from cover to cover. Um, But as you get into it, you'll quickly begin just to understand my approach. I don't push or pull. I more peel back the cover of lies that kind of lays over a trauma survivor. And then I teach my clients how to have strong boundaries so they can protect themselves from a future abuser. And then I work to increase self-esteem and self-confidence. Here's the thing that is a fact. Every teacher in this area will drill down on this. Successful people believe they are worthy of good things. The only thing we need to understand as survivors really is that we are worthy of all the beautiful things that others have in their lives. So being trauma-informed is just understanding that there's a deeper layer that must first be loved and healed. And it takes time and it must be done with gentleness and patience. And it takes a little practice to learn how to do that with, you know, with ease. But that is really the extra step that happens uh, with working with trauma survivors um, so that we can kind of get to that that place. We're kind of playing catch up in the race of life, right? And so as far as the rest of my book, if you want any clarity on how to get on target in your life with purpose, and purpose for me is not just career. There's love. There's every area. I talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I'm a big fan of uh, a lot of my teaching pools from that. I teach in, in a seasonal way. I really address like what, what happens around us and how we can cash in on it, the seasons of life, the seasons of the year. Um, if you want to give it a shot, it's only $12.99, so you might as well just order it. And just so every listener knows, the book was my first kind of big thing that I did on my own. It was my first solo project. I did so many. I co-wrote other books with doctors before this moment. And so in this moment of having my first solo book, I actually donated all of the proceeds to to benefit survivors. I don't cash any of that money in. I donate back into my organization to cover the cost of services. So please know that your purchase mm. is a, a two-win situation. Does that make sense?
0: It would totally make sense. And, um, it's really amazing how cyclical the work that you do is. I mean, the fact that you're not only trying to help folks, um, that have survived trauma through your program, but then you're also donating, donating back the proceeds from your book, uh, to help those survivors. Um, And I know that you're creating this incredible course so that folks who have read the book can then put those action steps um, right into purpose. And um, what's really amazing is that you are working with survivors to uh, put this course together. And so I'd love to hear about Um, some of the critical dynamics for a healthy work environment for your team?
2: Yes. I love talking about this. You guys gave me the best questions today. You guys guys really know me well. Um, So in case our listeners don't know, as an organization, we do like to offer the services to trafficking survivors, but I also um, hire them for every little thing. If I need a caterer, I find a a chef that's a survivor. If I need a director, I find a director that's a survivor. If I can, I can't do it every time, but I really try hard to do it. Um, And so working with, creating a healthy work environment for that team looks a little different. Um, And so let's talk about that. Um, So the most important thing for me that creates a healthy environment is to pay the survivor their full wage. I really avoid the volunteer scenario. If someone really is dying to volunteer, knock yourself out. Um, but I hire, uh, I hire the survivors uh, and I ask them, you know, what is the rate that you really truly want? And they usually will give me a rate and I'll say, What is the rate that you really, really want? Right? Like, because they're so scared to say, Oh, this is what I, my rate really is, you know. And so once we get that answered, Um, I raise the funds to get them that wage. And so once, so this is what happens. This is what that creates. This is why that matters. Once a survivor starts receiving an appropriate wage for the work and adding, you know, lists to their res- lists of work experience to their resume, the survivor begins to understand what their true worth is, and it changes them. It changes how they see themselves. It changes how they approach the world around them, how they approach their next client, because they just worked with from pain to purpose who offered them their full rate and treated them with respect the whole way, knowing that they were an up and coming expert in their field, right? So then their next client, they're a little bit more ready to have that uh, negotiation conversation because I, I I let them practice on me. I let them get it all out on me. So it gets them out of the cycle of having to ask for assistance you know, from all these dot orgs. And it allows them to step into their true gifts and strengths. We, we No survivor wants to be living on a charity for our, the rest of our lives. What we want is we want to be strong powerful contributors to the world around us. We, ha- we, the organizations, have to create opportunities to make that happen for survivors. I consciously create a scenario where I need to hire a survivor and, and get an opportunity to do that. Um, and then I would say the second thing we do to make a healthy work environment is I train everyone on my team who's not a survivor who will have contact with the survivors during the workday. Uh, I, I train them. I give them a trauma-informed training. On, it's a four-page training that I've written for my organization. I have had other organizations reach out to me to purchase it, so I'm probably going to make it available. I don't really need to make a ton of money from it. I don't really care. I'm happy to share it with you if you need it. Um, but so I I ask each survivor what would make them feel comfortable or uncomfortable in the workday before the workday begins. I ask them like a week in advance. Um, and I make sure that those direct requests get communicated, communicated to the team member before the survivor sets foot in the room. So it doesn't happen in front of them. They don't need to be present for that. So I mean I make phone calls and I say, hey, this is what, this is what's going to work best on this day with the team that I've hired, right? And so I recently, let me give you a story because stories are great. I recently worked with a survivor um, and I did everything I just described to you. That whole process unfolded. And then at the end of the the workday, she came to me and she said, she made a comment about how our other team member had such a safe presence and such a way of communicating that it helped her to feel at ease during the day. And that happened because everyone on my team got their trauma information and training before I talked to them in advance. And so it doesn't happen by accident. It happened because I consciously took steps to make sure that that would be her experience. So that is what I would say as far as building a safe environment. I think those are the two things. Pay them all the way up to the top of their wage. Make it happen somehow and then talk to your team in advance. Make sure they receive trauma-informed training. I'm happy to give you mine if that's what it takes, but make sure they get a trauma-informed training.
1: Amazing. Like so so practical as it is what we know of you <laughs> now up to this I point. Know, so practical. And um and really poignant too. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. Um well f- before we kind of transition to mm-hmm. our final closeout question that we mm-hmm. ask everyone. Um is there anything else that you were hoping we would hit on or talk about before we get to that last question?
2: If I can just throw out something at you, do with it what you will, but I'm going to share like, so vulnerably from my heart. Um, So we were talking about my online course, which is going to release in the end of November and be available to the public. We are doing buy one, give one. So through this process I'm in right now, it will allow 10 survivors to get access to the course in November. And then from there, I'm going to be entering into a, a sort of a, a second year of business, but it kind of feels like the first year of business for my coaching business. And that year, this upcoming year, 2023, I am just going to need all of your support. Like if you are in the realm of following from PainToPurpose.org if you see an opportunity to offer financial assistance, if you see an opportunity to offer resources, I'm going to be asking because I really want this business that I'm launching, it's a social enterprise in that it gives back to the community, as as I'm sure you, you're realizing through this conversation. I really want it to thrive. I really want it to provide hope for all of the survivors coming behind me who are watching me to see if, can it be done? Can there be a survivor entrepreneur or do we just crash and burn? So that would be my vulnerable thing that's on my heart to share. I just want everyone on my team this year. I cannot do this on my own. This is not a do this on your own, Jessica, you're that I'm coming up on. This is (laughs) I need the whole world to jump in in order for me to make this happen. And I want it to happen. I know you guys want it to happen. So that would be what I want to share. So if you're listening and you want to help us in any way, we will find a way for you to help. I promise. I promise. I love that. Well, you're
1: speaking to the right audience because the Dressember community. If if nothing else, we are looking for <laughs> tangible ways to make an impact in this space. And I can't think of anything more tangible than directly helping a survivor, whether it's volunteering or certainly a financial gift. But I don't um, what we
2: need, We yeah. know what we need, yeah, but we will need something. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. So just following along on your channels and, and watching yeah. for those needs to arise. And I'll I'll be sure to also be following along and and post those on my channel thank too you.
2: and thank you for your recent support we I appreciate you you have no idea tears of gratitude if you could have been here for the ugly crying I appreciate <laughs> what's happening right now so much it means so much to me they're not big enough words for the support that I've received from December and others um mm-hmm. in in recent months it's it's really speaking to my heart and my value and my self-esteem and my self-worth so thank you
1: I'm glad we are in your corner Jessica and and we want to See you thrive, and and we believe in in what you're doing, Steph. You want to pitch that last question?
0: Yes, yes. Uh, here from Team Jessica, um, <laughs> I'd love to know our listeners would love to know what is one thing that you wish people knew about um, sexual exploitation and CSEC.
2: Yes, I do have some thoughts, and I'm going to share them from my experience, from my heart, and from what what I feel called to do in this world of anti-trafficking efforts. So uh, you don't have to do it the way I do it, but if you're asking me, here's what I got for you. Um, So one thing I wish that people understood is that commercial sexual exploitation is not just underage girls who get kidnapped. Um, There's such a depth of nuance to survivors and how they find themselves exploited or trafficked or both. And it often starts with childhood abuse, then sexual abuse, which then grooms us to be sold. It's hard to, I could spend an hour, but just trust me, sexual abuse grooms you to be later sold. It's just the path that, that, that happens after that, because it does something in our brain at an early age. And it's, it takes many years to undo that. So sellers, sadly Um, have an ability to discern who might be a target and invite them into the commercial sex trade early on. Like my first uh, buy sell experience was at the age of 17, but that came after experiencing lack of sovereignty over my body since like age three. So that's the way it goes. So And for persons, uh, you know, who do not have a safe family to reach out to, making actual money, like I was living on the streets, I was homeless at age 17. So making actual money to survive is crucial. Um, And so it becomes a perfect storm of events that gets us stuck in the commercial sex trade. Now, um, there's a second caveat here. And I know everyone has a different opinion. So I know some of our listeners will feel (laughs) differently than I do. And it is okay. I am not here to push and pull I'm actually here for unity right so I'm just going to speak for what what speaks to me and what matters to me and the way my organization operates so uh so most importantly what I like to share with people is that whether a survivor was exploited through legal or, or illegal means or avenues it has been my experience that the survivors need similar recovery and assistance so I I'm uh labeled as CSEC sec when I experienced as a 17-year-old being bought in a certain way. But the second I turned 18, I was being bought through legal pathways. And so sometimes what happens is the world has a hard time understanding that we are all the same survivor, if that makes any sense. So, you know, that's my story. I know others who were exploited within the call girl industry or strip clubs and then i have other people i know who were trafficked through family members trafficked them and so what i want what i want the public to understand is that on monday night all of those people i just described we are all sitting in the same support group meeting with the same care team leader and reaching out for the same help with our goals and careers and our bills we are not divided we all need recovery and assistance, no matter what the path was that got us to the uh, experience of being a victim and then a survivor. And so I, my policy at From Pain to Purpose, I never divide survivors by whether their exploitation was legal or illegal. I do not. We, I want my organization to be united to protect our communities from those who would buy or sell the bodies of humans. So it, it doesn't matter to us how it happened or how the survivor got to be where they needed services because to us all forms of selling a person's body will will cause trauma and harm and so I want to be available to offer uh, services to whoever needs it and I can go on and on about it but for us from pain to purpose we feel like you know it wasn't my dream as the child I'll make it about me I'll make eye statements keep it healthy it wasn't my dream as a child to be bought and sold, whether it was in clubs legally or elsewhere illegally. It wasn't my dream at any age to be bought or sold. So each of us survivors has a unique and power. Actually, each of all of us has a unique and powerful purpose for our lives. And I have a hard time believing any of our purposes was to be used in this way. And again, I don't need everyone to agree with me I'm just letting you know where I'm at with my organization so from pain to purpose will always be a safe organization that does not judge how our survivor was exploited and we will offer services to everyone that is my statement of the day I love (laughs) it I've got for you well said thank
0: you
1: Jessica where can people find you if they want to follow along and encourage you and send monetary gifts for your organization make donations
2: yes Um, The best path is www.frompaintopurpose.org. I strive to keep all of our other links through that page, but you can find us on Instagram at frompaintopurpose.org. It's actually D-O-T-O-R-J. You can't put a dot in your name on Instagram, so you have to write all the words out. Facebook is frompaintopurpose.org. It's actually the dot. You don't have to write the word out. Um, but if you go to the website, we do try to drive you to everywhere else. So you don't have to memorize all these nuances to the different social medias. And then um, I've started to practice putting our needs on the homepage a little bit more because I'm realizing like, I could tell you right now, maybe we have this campaign or that campaign, but it changes every month. Um, sure. The need keeps changing. And so by the time you hear this is going to be a different need. Um, so just stay in touch with us up there. Follow us on social media. I post very regularly. So you will get everything. And then when you go to the website, crucial, go to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for the mailing list. That is where you're going to get the most information on how to be a part of helping us. But not only that, You might be a trauma and loss survivor. I feel like everyone's a loss survivor and most of us are trauma survivors. We're just not really realizing it. So there might be some nuggets in there that you might actually want to get involved in as far as receiving, you know, our actual programming is really good stuff, you know. So don't discount that um, as well. Please utilize any of the programs that I put out there, we're going to have an online course upcoming, and then that's going to lead to group coaching. And then we're going to start a container that's that you can join monthly. So, you know, we really want to be a resource for all persons who are looking to return to their purpose and get some purpose coaching. You don't have to be a trauma survivor. I do have clients that don't identify that way, and they still love the program. I'm sure, Blythe, you can speak to it, having read the book. I think it really is beneficial to all people, not just uh, trauma survivors. So jump right in and let us know um, what you'd like to see more of and what you'd like to help with. (laughs) We will take your help. (laughs) Oh my gosh.
1: Love it. Thank you, Jessica.
2: You're welcome.
0: Yes. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. And um, just being so willing to walk alongside us as we learn how to be more trauma informed and work with survivors, Um, everyone has to start somewhere. And I know those that are listening are taking notes (laughs) and are ready to apply it in their advocacy and in their community work.
2: Yes. And message me, send me a message through my website or through Instagram. I read it. I will respond to you. I actually really love those kind of communications. So don't be shy. Love it. Thank you guys for having me as a guest. I hope this information is helpful to somebody out there. Um, oh
1: 100 yeah. yeah this is this work. is such a gift to our community and it's going to be helpful for a lot of people
2: so thank yeah. you again it means a lot to be on the show today I really enjoyed spending time with you guys and I really love the culture of Drisumber and I'm really proud of you guys and I'm very impressed with the direction you're headed in right now it's very good well thank, thank you, that you. so cool. much awesome.
0: Thanks for listening to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast. We are all needed in the fight against human trafficking, and Dressember is here to equip and empower you to advocate for the dignity of all people. We host a style challenge every December where people pledge to wear a dresser tie for 31 days. The style challenge provides a fun, impactful way for even the busiest person to engage in this important issue, and it's proven to be a powerful way to raise awareness and vital funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, thousands of advocates have raised roughly $16 million to fight human trafficking from every angle around the world. This year is the 10th anniversary of the Dressember Style Challenge, and we need your advocacy to help make our biggest impact to date. You can join the Dressember community in the fight against human trafficking at dressember.org fundraise, or learn more at dressember.org slash how it works. And remember, it's bigger than a dress.